0: This podcast is brought to you by VinZero. VinZero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build, and solve through digitalisation. From VinZero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week, we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to VinZero Think Future. Access to more episodes, interviews, and profiles. Dr. Anne Kovachevich is the leader of sustainable buildings and precincts at Mott MacDonald. Anne is an engineer and physicist with 25 years' experience in sustainable building design. As a recognised futures thinker, Anne believes that foresight and innovation skills are integral to achieving sustainable outcomes and is passionate about applying these techniques for long term positive results. Anne joins us today to share her insights into the role of futures thinking in effectively designing the precincts of the future. Welcome to the program, Anne. Thank you for having me. Anne, you've spent many years practising futures thinking. What are the roles and responsibilities of a futures thinking specialist and how do they help individuals and organisations navigate uncertainty and make informed decisions for the future?
1: Well, my core discipline's always been around sustainability. Sustainability. And generally, sustainability focused on the built environment. And as sustainable professionals, we've really known for a number of decades a number of the things that we need to do. So we've been talking about climate change. We've been talking about sustainable design. And even over decades ago, we were talking about regenerative design and net positive design. So we had to do a lot of work with our clients, thinking about um, the visions that they could set and the sustainable futures that they could create. And what we've found is over the last five years that we've really turned the corner as far as sustainable world development goes and that clients realise it's not an optional extra, but it's something that they have to do. For sustainability, futures thinking has really evolved from vision setting to much more strategic pathway setting around how we can create adaptive pathways into different futures to navigate
0: uncertainties. So with that in mind, what is it that is most needed in the built environment right now? So I think what we need to do is we need to think about all the possible
1: uncertainties and really create robust and adaptable strategies to create these desirable futures. And I think as a foresight practitioner, what I find is that there's so much complexity out there that people people struggle to understand how they can Navigate all the different and uh, variables, and as a foresight practitioner and a sustainability practitioner, what I really tried to do is structure the uncertainty and provide um, a bit of a framework so that people can break down some of the different elements uh, that they're dealing with, some of the different systems, and some of the different problems that they need to na- navigate and start to pull that uh, pull together. Thinking that is much more structured, and not only think about how each of those different systems might evolve, but also how they might evolve together and create sort of a symbiotic future. So as mentioned, I think we've wasted a lot of time um, not taking action. We really need to, to get, uh, get started and really accelerate how we're moving towards a sustainable future. One of the things that it, I think is imperative that is that we all work together. And one of the things that we've created this year is a Brisbane Futures Collaborative. So in collaboration with Dr. Kimberly Cameras, we've been working together to pull together a number of different futures practitioners and just generally big picture thinkers. We get them together just to ideate around the future and share different methodologies that people use and different thinking so that we can work together to enable and accelerate sustainable design into the future. And we really like to think about How different professionals can work together and really create those futures that we want. One of the problems is that the rhetoric that we've had in the past is when we create sustainable design, we'll actually be missing out on something. And I think this is rhetoric that's been developed by fossil fuel companies to sort of say that sustainability is going to cause us to miss out on something. But when we connect with people, we can talk about the future and we can see the opportunities that are there to create new futures ones that we want to create and once that we're really connected with nature, we have all the things that we want and that we're not missing out on different elements. We're actually
0: optimizing and having much more efficient and connected cities. And so you're leading the way with Mott MacDonald's approach to precincts. Can you share some practical examples of how you apply that futures thinking to precinct design? So what we've
1: on, my role as Sustainable Buildings and Precinct Lead uh, really focuses on how uh, we can apply future thinking and approaches to precincts. So we think of precincts as communities within a city that can have multiple people uh, living, working them, they meet multiple needs. And this means that we might have a place to live, a place to work, a place to exercise, a place to connect, um, and also, most importantly, a place to connect with nature. And so. Precincts provide us a scale where we can think of all these dis- different systems and how they work together. And then we can draw parallels to nature. We can think of um, an area um, in, in nature, like, say, a rainforest. And when you think of an area of a rainforest with lots of different plants and species working together, they create a habitat where they can all thrive and uh, work together symbiotically to create an
0: area that um, overall has a regenerative effect. So can you share some practical examples of how you apply future thinking to precincts? So we always try to look beyond buildings and um, the projects at a
1: precinct scale will offer a lot of opportunities because we've got a number of different systems working together, systems like energy, water, food, transport. When we think about them for just a building scale, we might be quite restricted but we can create a lot more um, efficiencies when we think of Uh, different uses of precinct scales. So when we start to think about residential, commercial, health, um, community aspects that might be part of a precinct, you know that um, there's different load profiles that happen um, throughout the day and night that we, when we optimise these, we can get much more efficient outputs. And we also, most importantly, we need to think across systems. So when we think about the energy system, we need to think of how that interacts with all of all of our other examples and so an example might be if we have organic waste collected from um, residential developments we might be able to feed that into an anaerobic digester on site which might produce gas um, which can be used in the energy system might also produce fertilizer where we might have a community garden and then other uses so we're really creating the connection between these different systems so One of the things we also do with precincts and futures thinking is we think about particularly uh, what is the climate going to be in the future? And we know as we move forward, we're going to experience much higher temperatures and much more extreme weather conditions than we have in the past. And so one of the things that we spend a lot of time doing is looking at in precincts, what is the thermal comfort um, in the areas between the buildings and how can we make these is overall places livable and um, comfortable. One of the things we do when we're designing is we work with a lot of the different um, engineers and consultants who are designing the precinct. And so we might be working um, in the early stages with, say, an, a water engineer, traffic engineer, client, fly- and uh, landscape design, and we will be designing for how can we maximise the precinct so that it's comfortable for what we need to design for now. But when we think about the future, we also know that some of the needs are going to adapt over time. So when we think um, towards the future, we know that um, currently we design for a lot of single use car transport because that's what the current expectation is. But as we move forward, we know that we're going to have better access to public transport We can have more options as far as pedestrian transport and other low carbon transport options. And so when we design a precinct, we not only look at what the current design is, but how we can change that design as it evolves and as uses change. So we might design an area that currently has a road, but we might think how we
0: can take that road out and pedestrianise that in the future. So from a design perspective, that must introduce some complexities. How do you navigate through those? So first thing in cities, we need to Initially, really think when we need to build
1: and make sure we're not building unless we really really need to and looking for all opportunities to to retrofit. Um, And then secondly, we need a big focus on carbon emissions. So carbon has essentially become the currency that we think about and we talk a lot about decarbonisation strategies, how we move away from fossil fuels, how we have circular strategies and um, use renewable technologies. So the goal is really that we can um, reduce the um, amount of carbon that we emit and get to a point where we're actually net positive in all of our cities. Carbon emissions are the cause of climate change, which is one of the nine planetary boundaries. But what we need to remember is climate change is only one of the nine systems that we need to stay within in order to maintain life on Earth. These systems have an upper limit defined by a planetary boundary that if we transgress this boundary, um, we'll end up in a
0: zone of uncertainty where we're really unclear about the effects on human life. So with the planetary boundaries that you're talking about, what is the fundamental concept behind these and how do they contribute to addressing global sustainability challenges for the built environment?
1: So essentially there are nine different Earth systems that we need to stay within um, in order to to maintain life on Earth. If we think about climate climate change it's one of the key earth systems because it has a tremendous effect on all of the other boundaries but we have to remember that we can't only focus on carbon emissions so climate change is the first of the boundaries but then we think about other elements like biosphere and integrity so this um, used to be known as loss of biodiversity and here we recognize that um, we need to have a diverse range of species on the planet in order to keep the ecosystems functioning Um, And then we move on to the third planetary boundary, which is freshwater use. And freshwater is actually only 2.5% of the total water on Earth. And this is the water that's in the water cycle. The fourth planetary boundary is land system changes. And as you can imagine, our cities have really encroached on forests and um, agriculture has caused a large amount of deforestation as well. And therefore, we've really changed the balance of of land use on our planet, which is is creating a lot of issues. The fifth planetary boundary is biochemical flows, and this relates to nitrogen and phosphorus. And um, these are used in uh, fertilisers. And what we find that with agriculture is that we've used way too much fertiliser, which runs off into our waterways and um, accumulates and causes things like algal blooms that um, starve marine life. The sixth planetary boundary is atmospheric aerosol loading and so this is essentially pollution, not only fossil fuels, also, um, this is also caused by natural occurrences like volcanoes um, but causes particular matter to form in, in the atmosphere which is disruptive to, to human health and um, health of other species. The seventh planetary boundary is novel entities and this is essentially all of the man-made elements out there. and They've actually recently decided that we really need to set this boundary to zero and this means that we really need to get rid of all man-made substances that um, are harmful to to human and um, natural health. The eighth planetary boundary is ocean acidification and this is very intrinsically linked to climate change because it's linked to the amount of carbon dioxide that the ocean absorbs. And when oceans absorb carbon dioxide, they actually get more acidic. And finally, the last planetary boundary is stratospheric ozone depletion. And of all of the planetary boundaries, this is probably the good news story because this is where we can see that previously we noticed that there was a hole in the ozone layer and um, there was a global agreement, the Montreal Protocol, to reduce the refrigerants that were causing this hole. And since then, we've been able to uh, regenerate the ozone layer so that um, it's no longer transgressed that planetary boundary. So, to sum up, the planetary boundary really helped policymakers, scientists, and society understand the different boundaries that we need to work within in
0: order to operate sustainably. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes, so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. VinZero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward, wherever you are on your digitalisation and net zero journey. Visit thinzero.com to find out more. Mott McDonald's has been recognised as the industry leader in carbon standards. What do the actors within the industry need to do in order to effectively integrate carbon management across their projects and activities?
1: So we really need to start um, with carbon emissions. We really need to understand um, a, a baseline of where emissions are at. So each of the different players in the market needs to understand what. Um, their um, emissions are. And we, we break this into three different scope emissions and a lot of people will have um, heard of these. So firstly, scope one emissions, which are your um, direct emissions. Um, scope two emissions, which are related to their electricity that, that we use and, and how that is, is produced. And thirdly, the indirect emissions, which is where it gets really, really complicated because we're starting to look their entire supply chains and work out how all of the emissions within that supply chain can be abated. So once we've initially looked at and understood the emissions, we need to start thinking about how to deal with all of these different emissions. We do this um, through setting targets and working out how um, we're going to deal with those emissions at, at each stage of, of a project. And this is where we really start to apply our our systems thinking so that we can have considered
0: approaches to the life cycle of carbon. And in terms of understanding what the carbon approaches are or measuring that whole-of-life carbon approaches, MopMac have actually developed their own platform. So how is digitalisation playing a part in setting these standards for MopMac on their own projects and potentially for their customers as well?
1: Yeah, so digitalisation is really imperative to understanding the complexity of the data that's out there. So we know that um, uh, we're trying to analyze all this carbon across a number of different elements and we can only really do that by utilizing some of the tools that are out there. And you mentioned uh, 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 montbridge McDonald's approach to, to carbon management and we've developed um, what's called the MOADA carbon portal and this is, uh, allows us to calculate embodied emissions and optimize solutions Carbon emissions. So this is um, something that we can use for businesses. This is something that we can use for projects. uh, Something we can use to look at the entire supply chain. And I think the key part of the Moata Carbon Portal for me is that uh, we try to do this at a really early stage, so that we can we can either read in a bill of quantities or use a um, an upfront digital model to understand the materials uh, that are. Involved in a project, and then we apply a different um, standard to those emissions, and we can quite quickly get an understanding of the full embodied emissions um, in a in a project, and be making decisions really quickly at the start of a project as to where the best um, uh, best bank for bark is as
0: far as um, reducing carbon emissions throughout the the life cycle, and. Mott Mac were also the first engineers to be recognised as net zero and to achieve PAS 2080 standard. What does that mean?
1: Well, I, I think the thing that we always try to do at McDonald is really make sure that we're living what we're asking others to do. And so we made sure that when we we recommend that um, uh, people are net zero or companies are net zero, that we really knew how to do that ourselves. So we made sure we understood our emissions and then uh, worked out a way to offset anything that was was outstanding. And then with the past 2080, uh, this is an international standard that uh, we actually collaborated to um, develop the standard for so that we uh, create um, a streamlined approach to how we deal globally with um, emissions in infrastructure projects.
0: So how does a tool like Moata unlock social, economic and environmental value through the insight that it provides? Well, I think the key with Moata
1: is um, being able to provide something that is, that is standardised and open to a lot of different groups to be able to input and understand um, their projects early. And so that really drives downstream um, approaches that are really beneficial for projects and, and outcomes in general. So the more people that are using the Moata Carbon um, Portal the more we're getting uh, better outcomes downstream. And one of the key things about the Moata Carbon Pool is it's sector agnostic, which means we're able to um, help pretty much everyone with their carbon journey and uh, make sure that we're getting outcomes um, that are transparent and
0: traceable. So, Anne, as a futures thinker, what aspect of Mott McDonald's approach towards sustainability inspires you the most? Well, working at Mott McDonald, I'm really
1: surrounded by engineers and scientists who are re- relentlessly striving for the best outcome so whenever we're looking to solve a problem we're always looking to apply technical analysis to back up our assumptions and often uh, in other places I've seen sort of a strategic thinking but it's not backed up by that uh, those digital tools and um, the analytics that um, we apply at McDonald's. So often uh, what I'm inspired by is that um, it's really important to us that we're trying to solve these complex problems uh, using full
0: systems analysis and making sure that these backed up with technically correct analysis. So as we close out today's conversation, when you think future about the built environment as a whole or about the precincts that you're designing, what is it excites you the most? So I'm really excited by how sustainability has really come
1: such a long way. You know, we've known that we need to change our um, for such a long time but we've really just recently got the computational tools and the computational power as well to be able to understand our city systems and uh, design sustainable outcomes. What I love is that um, there's a real momentum behind achieving the sustainable outcomes. So we've seen a lot of great examples particularly coming out of places like Europe where resources um, are recognized to be limited and they've really been driving a lot of move to sustainability but what i would say um, excites me particularly in brisbane is that we have um, elements such as the brisbane olympic games that recognizes as having the potential to be a catalyst for change and really promoting sustainable outcomes so when i look at something like a, a big event that can
0: really yeah, change the track of where we're going i think that's really really exciting Well, Anne, thank you for joining us today to share your insights and forethoughts on what it takes to build a sustainable precinct of the future, and we look forward to hearing more about MOTMAC's work in Australia. Thanks so much. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcast at VinZero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From VinZero Think Future, thanks for listening.